here with Tommy Keane. And Tommy, I was sitting uh, in on the first lecture of your Gospels class that started last week. And I noticed you started with a, with a clip from The Last Temptation of Christ, a movie from the, I guess, the late 90s, early 2000s. And I guess the question that I clip raised is how do we get from the gospel proclaimed in the gospel accounts uh, or the Jesus um, portrayed in the gospel accounts to the Jesus and the proclamation of the gospel that Paul has in his letters. So um, thoughts on that? How do we reconcile those two? It's actually it's actually an, a, a, an older question than that clip makes it look. Uh, there's a lot of scholarship going into that clip. Some of it good scholarship, some of it bad, bad scholarship. But it's a question that goes back into the kind of the pages of the New Testament. You've got this. You've got Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God, and then you've got Paul, who talks about sin and death and justification and forgiveness. And they're not worlds apart, but it's a different language set. And one question that that generates is, how do we get from one, the language of Jesus in the Gospels, to two, the language of Paul, in in these letters? The solution that some scholars in the uh, 17, 18, 1900s kind of came up with is that Paul actually is the true inventor of Christianity. I think there's another uh, solution, and I think it's actually embedded in the Gospels themselves. If you take if you take Mark. And Matthew, you see a very, a very Israel-shaped proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus comes proclaiming, Mark tells us in Mark 1.14, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Uh, G- uh, Matthew also locates uh, Jesus' proclamation within a pre-existing story. Both Mark and Matthew are doing that, picking up on the, on the very words of Christ and locating uh, the words of Christ within this story. And M- Matthew opens up with the, the famously with this genealogy, a genealogy which goes to, which goes back to Abraham. So he goes through the prophetic period in uh, to David, and then finally ends with Abraham. And so all generations from Abraham to David were fourteen, and from David to the deportation to Babylon were fourteen. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, fourteen generations. And what you see, Jesus, uh, what you see Matthew doing there, is periodizing history, in terms of Israel's story, and Jesus being the apex of that story, the, the conclusion of the gospel according to Israel. Um, and and so you've got that Israel-shaped proclamation of the gospel, and Jesus coming to the Jews and for the Jews speaks in that terminology. But in Luke and John, we have the same proclamation of the gospel, the same message of Jesus, but framed and shaped a little a little differently. So Luke's genealogy is instructive here. Luke zooms out. He does a lot of what Matthew's doing, but he zooms out a bit more. He uh, so in his genealogy, he he goes uh, he doesn't stop at Adam, he uh, he doesn't stop at Abraham, he stops at Adam. And he goes, Adam, uh, the son of God. So he zooms out the story a bit, so that very much kind of what's going on is Israel's story is actually a part of a wider story. It's not in conflict with that wider story. It's not a a plan A and, and the gospels then plan B or anything like that. But Israel's story fits within a broader 
uh, historical narrative, Adam's story. Um, John, being John, zooms out a little further. He, uh, he backs up into, in the beginning, there was uh, you know, the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, so he backs up into this almost cosmic, metaphysical level of the story of the heavens and the earth. Uh, but uh, Luke's story uh, begins with Adam and the fall of Adam and Israel and then the story of Jesus as a resolution to Adam's story. And I think that is where Paul picks up. What's happened is, is Israel's story uh, is read within this larger world story of Adam. And uh, and Israel is a, a, a part of that, an inextricable part, a necessary part of that larger story. And so what Jesus does using Israel's language and the language of Israel's story, Luke and Paul, I'd, I'd say, zoom out a bit further and put that same gospel in this Adamic uh, context. So in Matthew and in Mark, you get a kind of Israel Christology. In Paul, you're getting you're not getting a different Christology, but it's Adamic in its language and grammar, and and so we've moved away from talking about the kingdom of God to language associated with sin and death, uh, more more cosmically considered, uh, and that then explains kind of. The differences. The practical implication of that is is we're seeing this shift, and it's a shift that Jesus himself anticipated in his own ministry and talked about. This shift from uh, for the Jews to through the Jews for the whole world, and so the 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 gospel according to Israel has has become because of the one true faithful Israelite Jesus, the gospel for the whole cosmos. I guess my question, my question is, as we study the Gospels, is it okay to kind of like borrow the language or the 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 logical structure um, that that we get from Paul? So, in in the Reformed tradition or in Evangelical Christianity, we use a lot of the language that we find in Paul, and then we kind of like read it back into the Gospel. So. It, that seems appropriate because it, in, in the sense it's, it's the same thing. Um, but sometimes it feels like we're forcing Pauline theology or concepts back into the Gospels. Mm -hmm. But it, it seems like it's a valid step to take uh, because we're trying to just put the Bible together. But I think it is a legitimate step. Uh, I it's a legitimate step because one, Paul does it, you know, so we have this biblical precedent of reading the Bible in this way. And it, one of the things that Acts is designed to do is legitimize that reading to remind us that when Jesus came and was raised as Savior of the Jews, he became the Savior of, of Adam and his race. Um, all of humanity now is able to uh, be united to Christ and therefore a part of the kingdom of God, and that transition takes place in the pages of the New Testament and requires, as, as that transition takes place, it requires new concepts and language and grammar to communicate that out to a pagan and not a Jewish world. 
So I think that step is not only legitimate, it's necessary. I also, one of the things we try to do in Gospels is reclaim the language of an Israel-shaped, kingdom-centered gospel, because that's how Jesus proclaimed it. And we have lost the ability to kind of think in those terms, to think of Jesus, especially in, in the evangelical church, to think of Jesus as the Savior of the Jews and as Gentiles, as sons of Abraham. That's how Paul himself talks about it, that, you know, Father Abraham had many sons, and I am one of them, and so are you. That's, that's still the language and logic that Paul utilizes. But we have forgotten how that narrative works. And when we forget that, we lose our ability, I think, to understand some of the things that Jesus says and does on the pages of the New Testament. Seeing that Israel shape to the Gospels allows us to then hear Jesus as he was heard by his first audience, or at least closer to as he was heard by his first audience, and see the various nuances of his teaching and preaching for us. 